Uh, You can turn in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, again, we have been in a series in the Gospel of Mark, and we have been uh, moving through this series, going chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Mark. And we've been selecting various passages in each chapter to focus in on in our study of God's Word on Sunday mornings. I hope that you have to this point, and if you've not, that you would start reading through the chapter before you come in on Sunday morning. Uh, You know what chapter we'll be in. Uh, This week is 14. Next week it will be Mark chapter 15. It gives you some preparation of your heart and mind as you come to hear the Word of God preached and taught. Uh, We also are always encouraging folks with our connect groups, our small groups, uh, as we are studying through the Gospel of Mark and uh, looking at the different portions of the chapters. Uh, We want every attending Maranatha Bible Church, who's part of our church, we want you to connect, grow, and serve. We want you to connect with each other as believers, grow in Christ, and serve Him. And so one of the ways that we accomplish growth, as well as connection and service, is through our study of God's Word, and digesting God's Word, and being doers of the Word, and not hearers only. And so that's what we want. We want people to be able to digest God's Word, apply God's Word, and allow it to have effect in our lives. And I hope that will be the case this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 14, and we'll be focusing in this morning on verses 32 to 42, Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. And so if you would join me there, Mark chapter 14, we'll start with verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I wonder, have you ever found yourself in a position of such sorrow, grief, and overwhelming despair that you felt you just couldn't go on. Maybe some of you are in that spot today. You have found yourself in a position in your life or found yourself presently in a position where you are overwhelmed with sorrow, grief, despair, and you wonder, how is it even possible for me to move or go on? Uh, Many of us have been in situations like that or have found ourselves in situations like that. And I appreciate so much this portion of God's word because what we see in Mark chapter 14 is Jesus during his 
earthly time here on earth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in a position of great, as it's described in the passage, sorrow, even to the point of death, Jesus describes the sorrow that he is experiencing at this very moment. Consider what Jesus is enduring and knows is coming as we look at this passage. He has just instituted the Lord's table. He's explained it to his disciples that his body would be broken, that his blood would be shed. He's explained to them that one that was closest to him would betray him, Judas, and Judas would be on his way to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just told Peter, one of his closest disciples and friends, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. All of you will be scattered because of me. He's just explained this to them. He knows that what is coming soon is the hour of his death, the hour of his crucifixion, the hour of his wearing upon himself our sin and taking upon himself the wrath of Almighty God. That's what's coming. Can you think of a more weighty and taxing moment that anyone in all of history would ever have to endure than that? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, knowing what was coming. Can you think of any more terrifying moment in the history of the world that would top that? Wearing upon himself, taking upon himself, anticipating that he would take upon himself that terrifying moment of the wrath of Almighty God upon him, knowing the hour was coming, that the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, who John the Baptist explained and proclaimed, takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he would become sin for us. Jesus, knowing that the intimate and perfect fellowship with the Father that was experienced from eternity past would soon turn to his crying out to the Father asking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what's coming. And he knows it's coming. Jesus knows that is what is coming. And here we are in Mark chapter 14, just prior to that event, which would change all of history, which would change all of the future for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, that pivotal event. It's coming, and Jesus knows it's coming. And here in Mark 14, just hours before all of these things would take place, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to his Father. This is an absolutely incredible moment that I think as believers in Christ we too often read through and breeze through without any thought about what is happening in this passage. This is an incredible moment. This is a moment that I don't think we can ever overstate the value of this moment. We cannot overstate the, the terror, the sorrow, the weight, the heaviness of what Jesus is experiencing here as he looks to what is soon coming upon him because of sin. And because of love. And because of the Father's will and plan. That's what's coming. And in his moment of greatest sorrow and trouble, Jesus modeled the perfect and most God-glorifying response for us to follow. In his moment of greatest sorrow and trouble, Jesus did what he always did. 
he would model the perfect and most God-glorifying response for us to follow. This morning, I'd like us to learn from his response and allow this time to challenge us. I wonder this morning if you would answer yes to any of these questions. Are you weary? Have you been weary? Are you sorrowful? Have you ever been sorrowful? Are you facing challenges? Are you distressed? Are you experiencing worry or anxiety? Are you experiencing heaviness in your life this morning? And if you would answer yes to that, or you could answer yes to that, I hope this morning serves as an encouragement and model for dealing with all of those things today as we look at our Savior Jesus at this most pivotal moment in his life. Knowing the cross is coming and the wrath of God would soon be upon him, Jesus is in the garden in Mark chapter 14 seeking to pray. And here's what I'd like to do this morning with the time we have remaining. I'd like to make three observations. Three observations from the passage about Jesus' response during this time. And then from those observations, I'd like to give or make three conclusions that flow from that. Three observations, follow that with three conclusions uh, for us this morning. Observation number one, in his greatest moments of distress and sorrow, Jesus prayed. Let that sink in for just a minute. In his greatest moments of distress and sorrow, Jesus prayed. Look again, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Sit here while I pray. The passage is going to share, as we've already read and alluded to the fact that Jesus is going to go and he's going to pray, and we're going to get a little bit of an inside look as to what that prayer to the Father was, but he's going to return to the disciples. They're going to be asleep. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus is going to petition them again, hey, watch and pray that you don't enter in temptation. Then he went back and he prayed again, and he came back and he found them sleeping again, right? But he's praying here in his greatest moments of distress and sorrow. Jesus is seeking prayer. Jesus is seeking fellowship with the Father. Jesus is turning to the Father. At this moment, this was the work That the miracle worker, Jesus, that the one who could heal the blind and give sight to the blind, heal the deaf and allow them to be here, who could say to the lame, stand up, take your bed and walk. The one who could say to those that were in need of forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. The one who could command the wind and the waves to obey him and they listen. The one who had complete authority and power is finding himself at this most pivotal moment in his life consumed with not any of those things but with prayer to the Father. That's what he's doing here. Just hours before all of these things would would unfold, moments before he would be betrayed and given into the hands of sinful men, Jesus is in the garden and he is praying here. Verse 33 says, He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. That statement, greatly distressed and troubled, holds with it uh, a, a sense of, of terror and amazement. Uh, here's the amazing thing about the words that are used here. It can mean to throw into terror or amazement, to be struck with terror, to be troubled, to be greatly distressed or anguished. This is what Jesus is experiencing. His full humanity is on display here. He's fully God, yet fully man. And we can't fully understand that. But here in his humanity, Jesus is in a state of distress and trouble. He says to his disciples, he is, verse 34, sorrowful even to death. I'm very sorrowful even to death. One commentator says about the state that Jesus would be in here is to be in the grip of terror. 
You can sit there and say, well, why would he be in the grip of terror? Again, remember what it is that's coming. He is going to have upon himself the wrath of Almighty God on sin. That's what's coming. He knows that. And so in his moment of great distress and anguish, of, of describing of himself that he is sorrowful, very sorrowful even to death, Jesus says, remain here and watch as he prays. Now, I, just as a side note, I want to I show something I think is so important that we can, I think, just kind of overlook here. In this moment, it says in verse 33, he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. Here's what I find amazing about this. In the midst of his greatest distress and sorrow, Jesus, who has perfect fellowship with the Father, this is the Son of God, Right? Fully God, fully man, but even Jesus at this point of great sorrow in his life, even to the point of death, he still takes with him Peter, James, and John. He takes with him his, his closest friends. And in the midst of his greatest sorrow, he even discloses to them, he even makes known to them, my soul is extremely sorrowful, very sorrowful even to death. He, he lets them know of the sorrow that he's experiencing right now, and he asks them to pray as well. I mean, this is a little bit of a, a side note, something I think that we have to recognize. Jesus was okay with sharing his sorrow and pain with those that were close to him and that he trusted. He even asked them to pray with him. We, we need to be okay with that as well. The word of God tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens, that we're to pray for one another. We're to confess our faults to one another. We're to encourage one another. Listen, if even Jesus, the Son of God, who has perfect fellowship with the Father, who never sinned, the fellowship was, was never broken. Jesus is perfect. He, he never sinned. There was never a breaking of that fellowship with the Father. Even Jesus brought with him Peter, James, and John. Listen, as a child of God, you have to know God has put the, the people of God, the church, the body of Christ on purpose in your viewpoint, in your path, in your life. And just as Jesus was okay with that, he was okay disclosing to those that he was closest with, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. You and I have to be okay with that. We have to check our pride sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we have to recognize in humility we need one another in the body of Christ. And here Jesus who has perfect fellowship with the Father, still takes with him Peter, James, and John, and he still was going to say to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. Why are we so quick to be so guarded about our sorrows and, and feelings of despair and feelings of difficulty with others? Even Jesus shared that with those that he was closest with. And we need to be okay with that as well. Again, don't miss the weight of the sorrow here. He's sorrowful, it says, even unto death. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, Luke, a physician, records about Jesus in this same setting. He says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. This is the level of, of sorrow and distress upon Christ here. He was in agony, Luke says, and he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I'm not a physician, but medically, this is referred to, and if I say this wrong, I'm not a physician. Hem hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. 
It's a very rare medical condition that causes you to ooze or sweat blood from your skin when you're not cut or injured. It's a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. It's a medical condition. It's very rare. And you can read about this medical condition. Extremely rare. Uh, one um, site that I went to, medical site that I went to, said that this is a condition that oftentimes occurs when people are, are under such duress and stress that they're facing death or agony of some sort. And this is a medical condition that happens. It's extremely, extremely rare. And the medical site that I actually looked to referenced Jesus and what was recorded in the scriptures about him sweating drops of blood. This is the level of sorrow and weight of sorrow and agony. And as he says in the passage uh, here, distress and trouble that is upon him as he's in this moment. And in that moment, what does Jesus do? He prays. He prays to the Father. Can I ask you this morning, how do you respond in those moments? How do we respond in those moments? How do we respond when the stress is great, the sorrow is great, the anxiety is great, the fear is great? How do we respond? And how would God have us to respond? I think Jesus models this for us perfectly. Paul would call upon us in Philippians chapter 4 and says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer... And supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's calling was not to be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Paul tells us to pray. Jesus tells us to pray. Jesus modeled prayer for us. Here's the observation. Observation number one. In his greatest moment of distress and sorrow, Jesus prayed. Here's the conclusion I draw from that. Prayer should not be a final option, but a first priority for the believer in Jesus Christ. Prayer should not be a final option, but the first priority. Have you ever heard people say, all that's left to do now is pray? No, prayer is not the final option, but rather should be the first priority for us as believers in Jesus Christ. And it's sad because even though prayer is something that is readily available to us in fellowship with our Father, we so often go to prayer as a final opportunity or final or last option rather than our first priority. I remember when I was first married, my wife and I, newlyweds, we were both in college. Uh, we were living in this apartment not far from the school. And when we first got married, we had nothing as far as furniture. And so we were trying to furnish this apartment. And uh, we had some gifts from our wedding and some money from our wedding. And one of the things we had to buy was a desk. And uh, I remember we bought this desk that we had because we had work we had to do and everything else. And so we bought this desk. And I remember one of my first learning opportunities as a young husband. I was putting this desk together and I had this big instruction manual. I mean, it was like page after page after page. And this desk was like not just a desk that's just like the standing desk that looks like a table. It had the drawer pull-out thing with like the um, extension for the keyboard, you know what I'm talking about, where it would pull out and then it would like come down and pull out. So you had the keyboard real nice and had the side drawers. And so that's great when you get it all together. But what that means is there's a lot of parts 
And it's not just, okay, screw that in, put it up, and make sure it's standing. Like, there's a lot of intricate parts. And so I went through the task of putting together this desk. And as I was putting it together, my lovely, beautiful bride, newlywed bride, is sitting on the couch watching me. And my older sister was there as well, watching as I was putting together this desk. And this is like my first opportunity to show that I'm truly a man, right? I'm putting together... This desk, and to make sure that my wife really knew I was a man, I certainly was not going to use the directions, okay? Because you just don't use the directions. So I'm putting together this desk, and I'm like feeling pretty good about it. Like, if you know me, I'm a whistler, so like I whistle all the time, or I'm always humming something or singing something all the time. It can sometimes be obnoxious, and and so I'm always doing that. And so I was, you know, in a fine mood doing this, and then I got to a point where as I'm looking at it and I was contemplating things, I realized I had extra pieces. Okay, I realized I had extra pieces. And I wasn't quite sure, someone just said, oops. Yep, that's what was going through my mind, right? But I could not let my wife and my older sister know that. And so I just kind of tried to fit things in. And long story short, I ended up having to swallow my pride, go back to the instructions that had been sitting there. Which, by the way, my wife said multiple times, honey, why don't you just use the instructions? Why don't you just use the instructions? I was like, instructions? You know I'm a man? Like, I don't need that. And, And finally, long story short, I had to go back and pretty much take apart almost the whole thing. And go back and use the instructions because I was at a point where I just had nowhere else to go. Now, here's why I share that. One, it's, it is kind of funny and it makes me look kind of foolish, which that's a lot of the times. But here's the thing I want to I tell you. If that is how we are treating prayer, then we're going to find ourselves in a lot of very difficult, messy situations. Because too often as believers in Christ, we go and try to do everything else with prayer available to us and fellowship with the Father every step of the way there. But we got it covered, don't we? We know what we're doing. We can handle it. Isn't the Spirit of God time and time again along the way say, hey, no you don't. (laughs) No you don't. No you don't. And we're like, yes I do. Yes I do. Yes I do. And then finally it's no I don't. And too often we treat prayer as the last resort. Listen, prayer should not be a final option, but the first priority for you and I as believers in Christ. You see, Jesus, in his moment of greatest sorrow and distress, would remove everything else in that garden and take with him three of his closest followers and ask them to watch and pray. And he would seek the face of the Father. He would pray. He would pray. Observation number two. Even in the midst of certain pain and hardship, Jesus prioritized the will of the Father. Even in the midst of certain pain and hardship, Jesus prioritized the will of the Father. Uh, Again, this is modeled for us here, and I'm just amazed at the mindset and attitude of our Lord. And what an example for us to follow after. In, in verse 35, it says, Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Again, I don't want us to miss the level of, of sorrow he's experiencing here. It says that he went farther away and he fell on the ground. I mean, that's just not a phrase that, that you see often, right? You, he, he goes a little ways away and then he just falls 
on the ground and prays, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. The hour being that hour of the wrath of God that would be poured out on him, the cup, the cup of the wrath of God that would be poured out because of sin on Christ. And it says he prays if it were possible, if it were possible. Don't, don't forget that phrase, if it were possible, because I think it's explained here in, in just a moment. Jesus, again, has the will of the Father at the forefront of his heart and mind. If what were possible, if it were possible to accomplish what Jesus knew must be accomplished in any other way, if that were a possibility, this is what Jesus is expressing to the Father. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, that word Abba that goes with it, uh, that's a word of endearment. It's what we might understand if we say the word daddy. It's, it's a word of endearment. And so even in the midst of his soul being so sorrowful, even to the point of death, he's crying out to the Father, even still with endearment, recognizing the closeness and recognizing the care the Father, even at that moment, has for him. He says, all things are possible for you. In his moment of greatest distress and sorrow that he's even, he describes us to the point of death, Jesus is still calling upon the Father, daddy, the one who cares for me and knows me and loves me. Daddy, if it was possible, please let this cup pass for me because all things are possible for you. All things are possible for you. See, Jesus, in the midst of all of this, these things that are happening, where it would have been so easy to question God. It would have been so easy to be like, is this really the best way? Is this really what you want? Is this really the only? In all of that, he says, listen, all things are possible for you. He doesn't lose sight of the fact that the one he's crying out to is the God of all the universe. And we have to understand and recognize when we pray to our Father who is in heaven, we never have to pray to our Father in heaven and say, Lord, if it's possible for you, all things are possible for our God. And Jesus doesn't lose sight of that. And he, and he calls out to the Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible from you, for you remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Consistent with his whole teaching ministry, his words, his actions, Jesus expresses yet again to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. In his moment of greatest sorrow and anguish, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus makes clear where his, his flesh is at this point in time. Not with sin, without sinning. He expresses to his father that yes, his soul is sorrowful even unto death. Yes, he is in great pain and distress and great trouble. But while experiencing those real emotions, in disclosing that even to Peter, James, and John, even while experiencing those very real emotions and having those emotions upon him in his humanity, he's expressing still to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. What a powerful moment. It's an incredibly powerful moment here. Jesus prioritized the will of the Father. He was committed to the will of the Father. He prayed for the will of the Father. He participated in the will of the Father. He followed through with the will of the Father. Too often we think God's will is something that we settle for. And that's not it at all. 
Because the observation here is that even in the midst of certain pain and hardship, Jesus prioritized the will of the Father. Here's the conclusion. God's will must not be something we settle for, but rather that which we willfully pursue. Understand that this morning. God's will is not something that we just think we settle for, but rather it's that which we should willfully pursue as we seek to live for the glory of God. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating here in the garden. His attitude and mindset was not to settle for the will of the Father, but to willfully pursue that and to see that take place in his life. There's so many examples of things that we should not settle for but willfully pursue. One of the most emotional times for me now, and, and it wasn't always this way, it is now though, is whenever I do a wedding for someone and I'm standing up front as the wedding party comes down the aisle and then the groom is off to the left and, and the bride makes her entrance with her father. That is such an emotional time for me right now because I have four daughters and so I never used to get emotional, but I was always looking at the groom and being like, I bet he's going to cry. Like, that's what I'm always thinking. <laughs> now I'm like, I hope nobody's looking at me because they're going to think I either really love this couple or I got something wrong with me because I tear up every time that I see that bride walking down the aisle because I picture my daughters and me escorting them and, and coming down the aisle. I'm thinking, I hope I'm smiling for the pictures and they come down, and when I ask who is giving this woman to be married to this man, and the dad says, her mother and I, or her family and I, and I look at the dad handing off his daughter to this, this guy, I'm thinking, man, I hope I don't have negative thoughts about the young men that, that ultimately will, will ask my daughters. It's an emotional time. So if you ever see a wedding video, you're just like, why is Bruce crying up there? That's Why? But you know, with my daughters, as their dad, my priority for my daughters when I think about their future and should the Lord allow them to be married and bless them with, with husbands, my attitude about that is not that I'm just willing to settle for whatever happens there. I am proactively, willfully pursuing in prayer a godly husband for my daughter. I, I pray every day. Because it's that important to me. I so much desire and want a godly man who loves the Lord and prioritizes the Lord for my daughters when they get married, if the Lord allows that, that I pray daily for that. Every day. Every day I get an alarm on my phone that reminds me to pray. Seven days a week. Because that's how much I value that. Can I ask, do we willfully pursue and value the will of God in our lives in that same way? Or do we just have this strategy, I'm going to live and I hope that it happens. If it does, that's great. That's not what we see from Jesus here. Even in the midst of certain pain and hardship, Jesus prioritized the will of the Father. God's will must not be something we settle for, but rather that which we willfully pursue. Are you 
am I willfully pursuing day in and day out the will of the Father? Number three, third observation, Jesus saw prayer as a necessity to defend against temptation and the weakness of our flesh. Again, you look at verses 37 to 42 as we close out this section. And Jesus came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. The flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Jesus saw prayer as a necessity against temptation and the weakness of the flesh. He saw prayer as an absolute necessity for himself, but also for his followers. He calls on them to be watchful, to pray so that they do not enter temptation. He's modeling this right before their very eyes, but they sleep. They are weak, and they sleep, and they sleep again. See, too often prayer only follows our personal defeats, anguish, and sorrows. Too often the only prayers that are offered to God come after the daily battles or struggles are done. Jesus saw prayer as a necessity to defend against temptation and weakness of our flesh. So here's the conclusion, third concluding thought. Prayer is not to be only reactive but preemptive. Prayer is not a last Resort, but right, it should be the first priority. And the will of God is not something that we settle for, but that which we pursue. And prayer is not only to be reactive, but preemptive. We are to pray, always pray. That's what Jesus modeled here. I made a little list. I thought this would be helpful. When to pray. When to pray. Are you distressed? Pray. Are you filled with sorrow? Pray. Are you weary? Pray. Are you tempted? Pray. Are you fearful? Pray. Are you needing direction? Pray. Are you troubled? Pray. Are you confused? Pray. Are you thankful? Pray. Are you joyful? Pray. Are you growing? Pray. Are you a child of God? Pray. Jesus saw prayer as a necessity. He saw it as vitally important in his life, not only when everything was great. People were being healed and crowds are gathered and people were following. He prayed. He went away to pray to the Father. He went away to pray to the Father in his moment of greatest anguish and sorrow. He is praying to the Father. Should not prayer be a priority for you and I today? Mark provides us with this inside look at how our Savior responded to what would amount to the most sorrowful and terrifying moment he or anyone else would ever face in all of human history. Jesus would endure the wrath of God on our behalf. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah said, the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And as that moment was coming just hours away, Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray to the Father. He would be ministered to He would find comfort. He would find peace. The concluding verse, Mark 14, 42 of this section, Jesus says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. With poise, strength, trust, peace, and resolve, Jesus would pursue and endure the will of God and ultimately the wrath of God just as he proclaimed he would. But first he prayed. Can I encourage you today 
Pray, pray, pray. These concluding thoughts again. Prayer should not be a final option, but a first priority for the believer. God's will must not be something we settle for, but rather that which we willfully pursue. Prayer is not only to be reactive, but preemptive. Let us pray for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for your word, and we're thankful for this example that Christ has set for us. Might we faithfully pray and pursue your will, God, as our first option and priority. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.